It's happening. It's all really happening. Okay, now. so Quinn. Quinn is leaving in two days to go to Hawaii, and you're busy getting the house packed. And what is your husband doing? He is dusting <laughs> our chandelier every single nook. Fucking crystal has been, and it's like a fake chandelier, by the way, obviously, but he's like treating it like it's, I don't know who sells a real chandelier. He's treating it like it's Swarovski or whatever yeah. it is, like real crystal. Swarovski. Swarovski. Isn't it's that a how Henry Winston, it? it's a Tiffany chandelier. It's a Tiffany chandelier. He's up there. I love it. And he is like, he dusted it and it took like 90 minutes. It looks beautiful. But it is shining yeah, at the top of the Chrysler yeah, building right now. His to-do list was vacuum and clean the bathrooms. So it's really confusing that he's standing on the table <laughs> dusting the chandelier for 90 minutes. And then I was like, what are you doing now? And he's like, I think I need to get vinegar for some parts of the chandelier. And I'm like, please, please, if you want this marriage to survive, <laughs> the vacuum cleaner is plugged in. I just find it brutal to watch it's him brutal and keep to watch. my cool. It's brutal to watch. And, and that's I'm really I'm proud at. of you. You kept your cool, Thank Quinn. you so much. You're welcome, Quinn. We had a good... Actually, he and I had a good week because we went to a friend's 50th birthday this weekend and we had so much fun because it was the best party I've ever been to. And that's saying like a lot going, after going to my uh, work party where you really had a party. You had a good time. You, you showed up in a wonderful way. You're the best plus one ever. I love... Parties. Parties. <laughs> with past apps. I you love, love a past hors d'oeuvre. And mm-hmm. that was some really top-notch past hors d'oeuvre. At my party? Oh, yeah. They were great. They were great. Like, and can I say it was what always happens, which is then they serve like some kind of bullshitty main course where they're like carved roast beef and a veggie paella and it's like not good, but all the past and yeah. the cheese yeah. and meat area. But weird desserts. What were they? I missed the desserts. Basically like a corn muffin and some brownies. That is weird. Weird. But the or- past orders, they had like a crawfish beignet. They had like devil's Why beef on top of like a little potato b- chip. Beautiful. And it was like a really beautiful potato chip. It was like a like a waffle fry. Yes. Small microscopic waffle fry potato chip. Loved that. I loved the persimmon with mozzarella. <gasps> was oh, fabulous. Oh, they did a caprice with the persimmon. It was so good. That was genius. They also did. I really loved. Uh, well, they did a grilled cheese. That wasn't that my was favorite. Fine. That the was white fine. fish cracker was good. Love white the white fish. fish, but I also love a devil on horseback. Oh, I had give three. Me, Those were good and give sweet. Me a, yeah, well, because the date. Yeah. Do you know what? The, you know they what? cooked the bacon how I like it. It was a neat package. It was yes. well served. Yes, well, it was one bite. There, there was a lot bite. of things that I was like, yeah, like basically. Wait, tell me about a, the party though. Oh, okay. So I was because I gotta tell you. I mean, I know you want to hear about my work party, but yeah. I was there with Quinn. Which Quinn and I got so many good pictures. Did you get the ones I forwarded you? Um, yeah, they're incredible. We have to post them. Oh, all I know. Over. They're our new. They're our new feature. Okay, moving on. Well, what so what happened was, um, let me turn this down. My computer's so bright, I feel like I'm in a spotlight talking to you, um, <laughs> like in a spotlight. Um, so two nights later, after already being like hungover from Carrie's party, I was yeah. like, we have to go out again. And we got super dressed up, got a babysitter, and went to the Alamo Draft House. For those that don't know, a fabulous movie theater yeah. that does the you know order dinner in your seats. They have a bar. 
that got rented out in its entirety and it is a wax bar. It's so cool. What does she mean? There are scary wax figures that are wax replicas of real things. Things like a wax replica of a C-section. A wax replica of like a scary monster from a movie. A wax replica of like body parts. A dead person's head that was really a dead person that they saw and like rebuild. Like a death mask. Yeah. Yes. Scary, creepy, wild, weird, filled with wax figures and like dark, fun, creep vibes, like velvety vibes. Yeah. And so it's a very cool space to begin with. And he rented it out in its entirety. And the first thing is we show up and one of the new moms I met in the neighborhood a few weeks ago at a good Shabbos uh, was there. And we chatted up and order the cocktail of the evening, which was the birthday boy cocktail with some not very sweet margarita. And it was perfect. Except that then Matt started ordering them spicy later in the night, which was smart because it slowed us down. And that was fun. We had had like tequila all night long and saw a lot of parents that we don't typically get to see because they went, they chose a different public school Mm -hmm. that is basically my kid goes to school. It's a two-minute walk. This would be a 16-minute walk. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to do me. it. I know me. And I don't want to do walk past walk. all the moms I know across the street and be like, I just have 15 more minutes and then 15 minutes home. I'm lazy is the point. And one of the dads actually yelled at me during the night. It's because you're lazy. I'm so mad at you because you're so lazy. <laughs> and, I, and he was a little drunk, but I was like, whoa. You're right. But it was Relax. just feel, you feel like you're coming in hot. He's like, you like these moms? You like hang out with these moms? Guess what? They're always hanging out at my house. You know why? Because we all go to the same school. Not you, because you're lazy. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I've never <laughs> felt like so friendship attacked, but also it was like a compliment. Yeah. I was, it was confusing. Um, it was like so much love. It like hurts. Yes. It's like with a little toddler with a baby. They're like, oh, they get mad. Yes. There was a close-up magician wandering that would come up and – I was like, yes, me, 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 me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I have a card with my name on it. And he did a fun trick Which is weird because you wrote it and then you gave it to yourself. (laughs) I wrote it. I I played. He did a magic trick and now I can't throw away the the card for some reason. I just love the idea that he didn't actually do a magic trick. You just took a card and wrote your name. You're like, (laughs) this is mine. (laughs) I put my name on it. It's mine. (laughs) Yep. Finders keepers. Um, (laughs) There was a seven foot drag queen (gasps) named... Marilyn Manho there and I talked to her for a very long time and she ended up performing too she basically did a song and introduced the birthday boy and he then did a toast to his husband and to everybody but that he and his husband cried during the toast and it was so cute and then he's like I was like oh this DJ's so fun and he's like yeah I flew him here from LA because I love him so much and I was like, oh, my God. And then he was like, so I just am really hopeful that everyone's going to dance. And everyone danced so hard. So hard. So it was Wait, everything you'd want in This a party. sounds like, honestly, who needs a wedding? It who needs was a wedding. A wedding. It, it was a wedding, like a wedding, but, like, way more fun. But I, like, always mourn that I'm, like, at an age now where – you just get less wedding invites per year. Like you used to yeah. be like solidly I'll get two every year and then like it drops and now it's like there are years with none. And this unique, like I love a dance party. Uh-huh. Give me, that's so cool. I am actually going to an, a gay wedding this year in Scottsdale, Arizona, which will be fabulous. Wait, but who's getting married? My friend Maddie. Oh my 
gosh, yeah. it's going to be so fun. So fun. By the way, you're listening to Truly. Darkly. Creepily. I'm Quinlan Bosnick. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And I got to tell you. I want to hear f- about the rest of your night because I left you a paperless post. I was a little... <laughs> drunk I was like drunk and she's like I'm taking it and I'm taking it home and I I was was like like, hugging people and then I was like talking to the coat check lady and then I was like meeting people on the train it's a miracle I got home but I did and then I wondered about you and then you texted me maybe four hours after I left the party (laughs) with pictures of karaoke and sliders and fries so I was like she's having a night too I'm having a night I the next listen I had a great time I sang You Oughta Know at the karaoke. I also Perfect. sang backup for Someone Always Be My Baby because someone was afraid. Like, I'm a hype girl. If you get me at a if you get me out of karaoke and you're like, I'm feeling scared, I'm like, I'll go up with you. What do you want to sing? Like, mm-hmm. I'll be your backup. I'll be there. You can see. And if I know you're doing well, I stay in the background. You know what I mean? That's really good. You know what I mean? If if you need help, I'm in. I'm in so we can share the spotlight. But if you need to be by yourself, super I impressive. Back. Um, I had a really great time. I was definitely hungover the next day. And um, then the next day after that, I was supposed to go to um, our friend's little three-year-old birthday party. Oh, it was so cute. I'm, and I woke up and I was sick. Like, I was, mm-hmm. like, hungover. And I was, like, yeah, yeah. I literally went to bed that night. And I was, like, I feel my stomach feels weird. But I can't wait until tomorrow because I know I'll feel better. I woke up. I felt worse. worse. You know, you might I actually be getting to an, well, maybe. You but also I might be getting to an age where you get the two-day hangover. I could they're be, real. Totally, they're real. But the second day, because I've, I've actually Take it from had an old it. lady. <laughs> I've had it. This felt like a bug. Okay. This felt like my stomach was gurgling Not in a great. way Not where great. I was like, I can't eat anything. Okay. That's bad. Like, That's and really it's bad. day two. And like the first day I was pretty hungover, but like- I went out, I went to another job. I like went and worked and I was like lazy. I wasn't the most effective at that job, Mm -hmm. but I did a job. Yeah. It felt like it weakened my immune system. And then I, and then I really went and then I, and then, and then I was like, you know what? Also too, I feel like I've been back in New York and I've been so fucking busy. Mm -hmm. And I think this was a little bit my body going, girl, you need to chill for a day. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes your body just asks for a break, and yeah. you have to. And I think listen. It did. and I think like with the with the hangover and drinking, and I like have been proud of myself not drinking. But like Saturday, I was gonna go to like a three year old birthday, and then I was gonna go to my friend's like holiday party that night. And so I was like, oh, I have like a full day, and mm-hmm. my body was like, it's interesting that you ask it because you're not going, right. Well, it was very cute. There's a uh, our friend lives in Maplewood, and there's like a Dickens village because they filmed so a Marilyn Mon- Marilyn Monroe. They filmed a Meryl Street movie there, like a weird bad holiday movie years ago in Maplewood, and they for the set had all these mini Dickens houses because there's like a scene where they're like, "There's a Christmas village in town for the holidays," so they make a Christmas village, and then when they left the movie crew, they were like. Town do you guys of want Maplewood. This? Do you want this? We're just gonna like throw it away. They're like a Meryl Street movie. Yes, and they were like, we do. we do want this Dickens Village, and they put it up every Christmas. And there's a line to see Santa, which Koa was like peeking in the window at him and was like, "Huh, I'm gonna go do crafts." And I was like, "Totally." <laughs> and then Griff did meet Santa, and you that went about as well as you could picture. Yeah, so not well. He was extremely serious about the whole thing, and I, have no, me and Matt both don't know what he said to him. Which I also like that we just don't know it's between them. Like <laughs> that's really cute. Yeah. Oh, I was just worried that he was gonna be. I am smelling olives. I am. I think there's like I'm just smelling olives and it's too much. You know, like I love an olive, but I don't need to be. I think because I shook the spicy and some of it got somewhere. And I think some of it got in there and I'm like, oh, you're just, like drinking olive juice instead I'm not of water drinking, right now. I'm drinking water. It tastes like water. 
But I'm like, but it smells like olive. There's like some olive juice was spilled on there, and I'm just like whiffing. She's having a dirty water. (laughs) So dark. I like my water dirty. (laughs) It's like a A pickle juice water. (laughs) Delish. Sorry, I just am like, what's happening? Okay, so here's the deal. Do we have Patreons to thank? Oh, we have one. Her name is Sarah. Sarah. Or is it an H? I thought it was an M. Okay, gotta look up the Sarah. Sarah, what was Sarah, your last what? name? It was an letter. H. It was an H. I because thought it was an M because it has the should two we beat lines. This? No. Horton Here's a Who is her last name. <gasps> well, just Horton. Right. That's too long. <laughs> Could you imagine if her name is Sarah Horton Here's a Who? <laughs> Sarah Horton, Sarah Horton, sorry, I'm not going to say your last name because because there is some privacy issues with that. We don't want to get you confused or get. What is your social security number? What Please is your social security number? Let us know. Or we could guess is it 234 Is that what it is? Did I just guess it? Is that your social security number? Can we get some more money by using that number? And what's your banking account? Is it 712345? Don't forget to send the routing as well. We're robbing you, Sarah. We're robbing you because we know you like true crime. Bum. All right. I feel good about that. <laughs> what if we guessed Sarah's correct social security number? Who's first today? Me. Oh, great. I okay. heard you have a long one. I have a really long one, and I was like, should I do it into two sections? Here's the deal I watched a three part documentary on this. What? Minor shortage. Great. I watched a three-part documentary called Bad Surgeon. I think it's a Dr. Death right. part two. Oof. I watched it and I was like, I watched it and I was like, this is too much. I'm scared. I'm scared. I get that. I'm scared. Because you're like, how would I even attack Because this? even in how the documentary is, like so much of it is happening simultaneously. So it's yeah. like, how do I approach this story? But I also like right. we love a con but artist. Like, I like, have to. T- I have and you're to like, talk about it. I can't come it. in and tell Ted Bundy. Like some of them are just like, how would you even? Like you know what I mean? Like this is so. This one I'm doing because I'm gonna see if I can. I'm gonna see if I can fucking distill do it. it. I'm gonna see if I can distill it. It's really hard, and I'm. You should watch the documentary. It's so good. I watched it twice. Just leave and watch the documentary. Just what are you still go doing home. here. Go we home, asked you up. to leave. Grow up. Grow up. But if you want to hear a poorly version of that documentary told in your ear holes, stay. Stay. <laughs> Why not? What are you Why doing? What You're are you doing, doing the dishes. Grow up. Okay, so I got this information from the documentary Bad Surgeon from people.com. We love to see it. Science.com, Vanity Fair, and Wikipedia. All right, so I'm going to focus in on the first person. No, that's not how I want to tell the story. I literally was so nervous about this. I told my friend last night, and I would like to get through it. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> I think that's how nervous I am about this. Okay. But I just got to listen. Quinn, hey, yeah. future Quinn. Good luck editing. Okay, so Benita and this is already, I'm so nervous. Take a breath. Go slow. <laughs> I, but I do mean that. You're going, you're, you don't have to go fast just because there's a lot of information. That's true. Don't go fast. It's not going to help you tell the story to go fast. Thank you. Hey. Okay, I'm going to introduce you to Benita Alexander. She is a journalist in New York City and she works for NBC. She is a single mom who works two jobs, who loves her kids and never stops. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I've heard of her. (laughs) It's not Reba, it's Benita. Uh, She works for NBC and they're going to be doing this special on regenerative regenerative medicine, which is a field in medicine that is something that scientists are really excited about. It's this idea where... 
you could potentially grow things outside of human bodies, like maybe organ implants or things like using stem cells. But mm-hmm. regenerative medicine feels like a very exciting part of the medicinal community and something that researchers are very excited about. So word gets around and she starts to look into this guy, Paolo Macarini's research and surgeries. Now, he's this like risky surgeon. He feels kind of like a rock star in a lot of ways because he's like, he's like, um, he's like, we might lose people, but it's for the greater good. Like we're really working hard Mm -hmm. here um, in regenerative medicine. And so his deal is he's a thoracic surgeon. And what he does is he is interested in sort of like 3D printing windpipes or tracheas, bathing them in stem cells and implanting them in people. And mm-hmm. the idea is if this if this works, like this will change medicine as wow. we know it. It's yeah. really incredible. Um, and he's a pioneer in this field. He's from Italy. And um, he works primarily at the Karolinska Hospital and Institute in Stockholm in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's performed the first surgery there. It takes the media by storm. Um, he replaced the windpipe of a man with cancer. Um, but his whole deal, he like, and he also really cares for his patients, right? Like mm-hmm. he really talks to them before the surgery, explains everything that's going on, like really wins them over. So Benita decides to pursue this story. And she's telling the story of the first time that they met and they lock eyes and she's like, whoa, there's something here. There's an instant connection. But she's a journalist and you're not supposed to get involved with the subject of your story. So she's like keeping it at bay. One of the cases that he's working on is this two-year-old named Hannah. And she spent her entire life in the Seoul Hospital. She's a Korean-American little girl and she was born without a windpipe. So oh he, she hasn't been able to eat or talk her entire life, but she is this like sweet little two-year-old who's just like super cute and full of life and energy and positivity. And her parents are racking themselves with like how they can mm-hmm. how they can help her. And so they get connected with Paolo in this like new surgery. And again, he's performed a couple of surgeries before. He brings her into surgery in 2012. The surgery goes well. You can see the windpipe is getting better. Um, but unfortunately, not long after, she's not doing very well. And her health slowly declines and she passes, this poor little two-year-old. And her parents, I think it's a testament to this surgery where her parents post on Facebook, you know, in memoriam of their daughter. And they talk about how she was a pioneer Mm -hmm. in medicine. And like, while she lost her fight by going through this surgery, like we're learning more, you know, that maybe the next person this happens to, this won't happen. Wow. When Hannah died, Benito was like, do we scrap the story? Like we don't have the happy ending that we wanted. And they're like, no, let's just like reframe it to talk about Paolo. And so they started sort of like he became the central focus of this. And then they started to look at other patients, right, to fill out the story. So they look at the story of this man, Christopher, in Baltimore. And at the age of 30, he finds out that he has a tumor on his windpipe and it is a terminal cancer and he is given about six months to live. He has a young daughter who he just absolutely adores and he's going to fight. He goes through chemo. He goes through radiation. They're like, this isn't making much of a difference. You, it's still terminal. Mm-hmm. And so through, I think, people searching, they fi- he finds Paolo. And he reaches out to Paolo, or his family does. And Paolo's like, I'd love to help you. 
Mm-hmm. So Christopher comes out to Sweden and to the Karolinska Institute, and he's the second surgery at that institute, which, by the way, I think this one was before Hannah, just to mm-hmm. be clear. So he flies out to Stockholm, to Sweden, um, and he gets this surgery. And um, right after the surgery, he got a horrible infection in his windpipe. But his, it was not a good situation. He had to go through other emergency surgeries. But he was really determined to get back to the U.S. to be with his daughter because his daughter was like – is like under 10 like she's a kid she was like six years old he like fought to get back so he could take a plane back to the states to baltimore and they have video of him reuniting with his daughter and his daughter's so happy to see him and a week after his health slowly starts to decline and he is readmitted to the hospital and he dies he dies from complications Um, i do like that nbc was like it's a very sad story can we make it lots sadder (laughs) Totally You're like, right. NBC, relax. Um, and the family, I mean, the family doesn't blame me. He was, this man was given a terminal diagnosis and this was like in an, an hopes that it would fix it. And he ended up passing. But Paolo like really just, you know, ingratiated himself in the family and he still was in contact with this family. Mm-hmm. So while this is happening or while she's researching and all of these things are happening, Benita and Paolo's relationship is getting more and more serious, mm-hmm. but they have to keep it under wraps. Um, but he's doing things like taking her on these like big trips to Europe. He's buys her an engagement ring, a hundred thousand dollar engagement ring. Um, there's these like these grand gestures. He's sending her these videos every day when he's away because he travels a lot. Like he has all these different phones, like a Russian phone, a Swedish phone, a U.S. phone. You know, he's a surgeon. They don't have pagers. They have phones. Money wasn't an issue. You take her on like extravagant shopping uh, shopping sprees he'd have to go at random times for surgeries which was annoying and she was like you're leaving in like new year's eve like why are you leaving new year's eve and he's like it's okay well we're engaged like i'll tell you it's look i I work in a secret network of doctors in addition to doing all mm -hmm. of these like thoracic tracheal surgeries like i work for bill clinton the uh emperor of japan um bunch of famous people um in russia i don't think that's true barack obama i have to tell you something and i gotta tell you the final one the pope uh, it's oh huge and he does tell her family and it's and i want to be clear like when i say this it's not like he's leading with this he has been the forefront of this tracheal and you see him in surgeries like he is a doctor like he's He's very ahead in his field. He's very well-known. He's world-renowned. And so I think, like, these things that he's introducing are slow. But she's like, okay. And then he introduces um, – she introduces him to her family. And he's like, it's interesting because I actually was, you know, Princess Diana's doctor. And if I had been there at the car accident, I think I could have saved her. Okay. So, the, yeah. So, like, we're getting flags. Hey, flag on the play. Yeah, that's a red flag. Let's call it a red flag. Okay. I, spoiler alert: the uh, the title of the documentary is called "Bad Surgeon." So, if that's any indication, gotcha, of where we're heading, that's where we're heading. Um. So, the documentary uh, feature that she was producing is called Leap of Faith, and it premieres in 2014. They have like a big premiere party, and in that, they're able to come out with their relationship. And so they're like living publicly amongst their friends and family, and they're gonna get married in 2015, and Paolo is like, listen, let me plan the whole thing. 
And she's like, what? I want to plan my wedding. And and her friends are like, he's taking you on all these extravagant things. Like, you should just let him plan the wedding. And she's It'll like, It'll be you know really what? good. It's going to be good. It he might works, be at he, an olive garden. He works for the freaking Pope. Mm-hmm. Which, speaking of which, he's like, listen, I want to get married in a Catholic church. And she's like, I'm not Catholic. And I've been married before. I have a kid. It's probably not going to work. And he's like, no, no, no. Let me see what I can do. And he's like, listen, I got the guy in charge, head honcho, the Pope. He's going to marry us. And the she's Pope like, Hope is going to marry them. She's like, that's crazy. And she's like an <laughs> so investigative journalist. Stupid. The Pope doesn't marry people, does well, then he? Then she looked it up, and the Pope had just married like 20 couples the previous month, and all of them were living in sin. Okay. Quote, quote, living in living sin, had kids out of wedlock, but he like married these 20 couples at the Vatican. Okay. So she's like, oh, okay, like he does do Sounds that. Like Pope is down a clam. Yeah. <laughs> does the Pope shit in the woods? <laughs> no, but he does marry people. <laughs> And where are they going to get married? They're going to get married at the Pope's summer residence. Um, and there's like a castle nearby. And so like he's planning all of this. They send out wedding invitations. And he even invites like Christopher's family, like mm-hmm. his old patients. Um, Andrea Bocelli's going to sing. Elton John is going to sing because it's going to be know, a good wedding. It's going to be a party. They did get in a fight about if they were going to invite Putin, which I hope if anyone who's getting married here, well, because the Clintons and the Obamas and like, is Putin really going to come? It's just like awkward. And, and Benita is mm-hmm. like, I don't want Putin at my wedding. And frankly, I he won't have it. anybody to talk to. And I don't think Except, Oh, Marilyn Manho is can coming. I, can I tell you, I actually don't think he would give a good gift. Oh, no. Agree. No. I don't. I really don't. I think his gift would... A used candle. Ugh. Horrible. (laughs) Or like a gift card. Yeah. That has like 50 cents less because he didn't... Whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So while this is happening, they're planning the wedding and um, Putin is going to get the invite, which is annoying. But I I hope that puts it into people's perspectives. Like if you're out there planning a wedding, just know like you won't have to fight about if you'll invite Putin. And I feel like that feels like a win. So Mm -hmm. take that with what it will. Take that for what it is. Um, So they're deciding where to live after this is done. Because he's like traveling all over. He's in Russia. He's everywhere. And they decide he's going to, they're going to move to Barcelona. And that involves her leaving her job at NBC, moving her daughter to another country. But she's like totally in love with this guy. And she's like, all right, I'm in. And he's like, she's like, okay, I want to see where I'm living in Barcelona. And he just like always has these excuses about how he's not there. Or, like, can't make it. Or he has to go do a surgery. So it's not going to make sense for her to go to Bar- I'm sorry, Barcelona. <laughs> so um, while this wedding is getting planned, she hasn't seen Barcelona. Christopher's sister, Erica, is like, I love her. She was in the documentary. She's a girl after my own heart. She is type A. And she decides that she's going to call the castle to be like, where am I staying? What's the deal? Because she's booked a flight, but she's got no plans. And frankly, I get it. Mm-hmm. So she calls the castle that they're supposed to stay at. And the person on the phone is like, what? And not because they probably weren't speaking English. It's because they'd never heard of Paolo Macarini. They didn't know about this wedding. So Erica calls Benita and Benita's like, let me call Paolo. Paolo gets a call um, from Benita and is like, they probably just had a changeover in staff. Like, don't worry about it, my love. I got it under control. She's like, okay. But at this point, like she gets a little tingle of like, hmm. Weird. Really weird. Seems really weird. But again, it's like love bombing. It's, yeah. So also around this time, there's an article that comes out in the New York Times that is questioning Paolo's um, scientific misconduct, right? It's like they accuse him of committing, they accuse him of committing scientific misconduct. And his excuses, I have a bunch of 
people who are jealous. I have enemies where I work. Jealousy is a thing. And Benita believes him and comes to his defense. So she's about, she's like leaving her job at NBC. She's about to get married. She goes to the spa with her girlfriends. She turns her phone off. At the end of the day, she turns her phone on and she gets an email from her one of her colleagues or former colleagues at NBC and is like, hey, the Pope is going to be in South America during your wedding. And this has been planned for like a long time. And I think at that moment is when her balloon fucking popped. Really? Yeah. That's what it did it? That's what did it. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think because it's personal, right? Like maybe you're able to write off like, I just did a story about this guy's medical mm-hmm. prowess, you know, this castle, like I'm not planning the wedding. I think it's like that there's like physical proof, like it's in a write-up that the Pope will be in South mm-hmm. America mm. and not in Italy where she's getting married. So she confronts Paolo and Paolo is very calm. She mm-hmm. says he's very stoic. She's fucking livid. Mm-hmm. And she remembers, like, the way she recounts it is how calm he was and how crazy that is. Like, if you're caught in a lie. That big. That big. And you're just calm. And he's like, listen, actually, I have to tell you, this, like, secret network of doctors, it's actually, like, I work for the CIA and, like, doctor is a cover for being a sniper. And she's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I really like that he's like, I'll just pivot. It's not working it's out. It's like we see him. We've seen him do surgeries. Like we know he's a doctor. It's it, so like all it's and all and also I want to spoiler alert, like the Russia stuff. Like he does have a documentary that was like Putin's pet project for this trachea that I'm going to go into later in Russia. So like some like it's just enough a way to, for it to be it. believable, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and she's like, I'm a journalist like I'm an investigative journalist like I was gonna find it like what is going on like why did you pick me and he's like I know you're a journalist that's why I love you so much and he like was like elated or like and it becomes clear to her in that way in that moment that he's picked her intentionally that like she was gonna be doing this documentary about him and lauding his me- like he needed he, her to to make him look valid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she calls off the wedding and she starts investigating him. She gets like a PI, she like does all the things and she's like going in hard. She's like calling all the places that he doesn't want her to call. The Vatican's never heard of him. He's not working for the Clintons or the Obamas. He has no connection to the Pope. And so then she goes and she's like, calls her two friends and she's like, listen, we're fucking going to Barcelona. I got to see what's up. He says he's in Russia. Her and her two friends go and she does what any sane woman who has been hurt by a man does. She buys a blonde wig in case she needs to go undercover. Of course. Of course. Because why wouldn't you? And she gets to his house and she doesn't go in. Her friends go in and he's there. And this blonde woman comes out and a little boy and a little girl who call him dad. He has a whole nother family. Yeah. Yeah. We knew that was coming. They Um, always do. (laughs) They always do. They always do. Um, So she goes home. She's like distraught, right? Her wedding's canceled and she's just like, you know, this man that she has invested so much time and energy and has like lied about literally everything. Like nothing is truth. Right. Um, The ring 
that was worth $100,000 is worth like barely a thousand bucks. Of course. By the way, the ring wasn't that cute. She should have known. Um, and then she goes to a friend at Vanity Fair and she like writes this crazy expose about him. Mm-hmm. Well, the expose goes out and this woman gets a call. Ana Paula Bernardes Pedrosa. She sees this and she's like, wait, I'm in a relationship with that man. What the fuck? And she starts putting together that, like she's been going on trips with him to places where like Benita was. And she realizes like her whole relationship. But what I really want to focus on in this relationship is how it started. Ana Paula, her and her son, Danilo, they get in a tragic car accident in 2009. And Danilo has to have like a tracheostomy. And I think the timeline is not totally clear. But in 2009, he gets um, in a car accident. Paolo's the doctor there. And so he's about to perform a surgery on Danilo to help with his trachea, to help him breathe, to help him, to give him, you know, a chance. He explains the surgery to Danilo's mother. She's like, I'm so worried. And he's like, no patient has ever died under my care and your son won't be the first. And she said, praise God, right? Italy. Um, And he goes, God, what God? There is no God. See these? And he points to his hands. This is God. So he's son, so humble is what I like what about I him. What I like about him is he's, you know, I love that. I love yeah. he doesn't have a big ego about him. I think that's great. He's relatable. So he, Danilo goes and she feels calm. She feels taken care of by this doctor. Again, he's like very charismatic. The next day, Danilo goes into surgery and unfortunately there are complications. He has an artery that bursts, which Paolo rebuilds. But Danilo is in a medically induced coma. And slowly Danilo starts to like come to, he can open his eyes, he can communicate yes or no, but he's like coming back a little bit. And then there's another complication. He has a hemorrhage and he's rushed into surgery, but Paolo is out of town. So Anna Paola is calling Paolo going, hey, I need you to come back into town. He's like, I'm on the phone with the surgeons. I'm there. I'm basically there. I'm, I'm walking them through it. But it was all too much. And because of that hemorrhage, Danilo died, April 2nd, 2011. Anna Paula is completely distraught. She lost her son. This is every parent's worst nightmare. She blames the hospital. She contacts a lawyer. The lawyer informs her, hey, not only is the hospital we're investigating, but also we're going to investigate Paolo Macarini. So she tells Paolo, you know, you're being investigated for manslaughter. He's like, you know, I had nothing to do with this. And she believes him wholeheartedly. And who knows? We don't know if he had anything to do with this. But what we do know is that he starts to call her more often. He talks to her on the phone every day. And she starts to have feelings for him. It's like here she is at the lowest point Mm -hmm. in her life. She Mm -hmm. lost her son and he's calling her every day. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's after he's being investigated for wrongdoing in Danilo's death. (laughs) I don't either. Um, But they have to keep their relationship under wraps. And so two years after the investigation begins and ends, he is found not responsible for Danilo's death. She is relieved. The two of them can live outwardly in Italy. They have a daughter together. Her life is going fine. He's leaving for surgeries, but he's this like famous doctor. And then this Vanity Fair article comes out. So we know that he's had like three relationships at this time. Now, what I haven't discussed right now, the medical aspect of his practice, because we see him being a con man in love. 
But what's at the same time happening is that people are getting wise to what's going on with him medically and these windpipes that he's putting in people's bodies. Mm -hmm. We know that Hannah passed away. We know that his first patient passed away. We know that Christopher passed away. And he does have a third patient in Sweden, um, Yashim, who went in with this trachea surgery because she had a damaged windpipe. It was not... um, it was not medically necessary for him to replace her trachea. Where I think with Christopher, with the cancer patients, I think it felt like, oh, okay, this is like an a, way F- to save a way to save them. And I think when they were lost, he said it was never about the windpipe implant. He said these are people with pre-existing conditions. These are people who are not strong enough mm-hmm. to withstand this surgery. So one of these patients, Yashim, comes to Sweden. She like even flies on like a commercial airline, goes to Burger King, and then reports to the hospital, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's how not like risky she was as a patient. She undergoes the surgery and right after, like horrible things start happening. Mm -hmm. Like she has an infection. And to be clear, Christopher goes back to um, the US and the first patient goes back to Iceland. So like Yashim is one of the first patients that is in this hospital. So they're seeing the complications in real time mm-hmm. from the surgery. The doctors who worked on her said what she went through is absolute torture. Mm-hmm. She was alive for about four and a half years after the surgery, after the initial surgery of, of the tracheal impla- uh, replacement implant. Mm-hmm. She went through about 200 surgeries in that time. And every four hours, she would have to clear her airway, which the doctors describe as like a horrible procedure. They say that what she went through was painful and torture, Mm -hmm. what she went through. Paolo, they noticed, was like all there with the people before the surgeries. But as soon as he got out of surgery, he was pretty much gone Mm -hmm. onto his next thing, onto his next surgery, onto Mm -hmm. his next patient. And if anyone would question Paolo, he would get really defensive. You know, it's none of your business. At one point, he's presenting at a lecture and he's talking about the research. And then he goes right to the human, um, the patients, where he says a lot of them were successful, even though we know a lot of them died. Most of them died. And he skipped the whole part where there's like animal testing, right? It's very common to, to test on animals before you test on humans, whether it's lab rats. Um, in fact, he told the first patient that he had tested on pigs and all that stuff. Um, and so his colleagues who worked with him thought this was peculiar. And they were confused about this. They're like, he's he's skipping a whole research portion of of the work, right? That's, that's not but science. But like, how can that actually be legal? Like, don't you have to prove you've done that to move on to humans? You say, but You don't just, he, like, decide that you feel ready. yeah. But people say that there was some falsification that he was doing. Okay, like so for example, he was doing whatever documentation he needed to do to move on to humans. Like, but he, the people that were in his sphere understood like that never happened. Well, he told his first patient that he had tested this on pigs and it worked beautifully. But like, a patient is going to believe a doctor. Of course, they're not going to check it out on their own. No. And, you know, he talks about how these happened in, like, what we're finding is that he went from research to humans and then, like, backlogged it after the fact with animals just to get that. And and even that, like, the evidence, I, nobody talked about how, nobody really talked about what that evidence, what, like, what that looked like. 
Wow. So a small group of doctors um, were like, we need to we need to figure out what's going on. So they start looking into research and they realize he, in fact, skipped animal testing altogether and went right to humans. There's no data in the archives. And they were like questioning his moral and ethical <laughs> Like he's yeah. compl- well, they're like, like questioning. This, they're like, this guy's a like, fucking. This guy's doing experiments on humans, and they're failing. He, and they're failing, and they're causing people harm. Like yeah. it's he's not killing chill. He's killing people completely. So the doctors like work together. They put together some files and they present it to the Karolinska Institute in Sweden, and nothing happens. They're like, wait, wait a minute. Like we're telling you, like we're really worried about this, and nothing is happening. And around that time is when the New York Times get leaked that he has been accused of medical scientific misconduct, right? So it's so that's what's happening around them. So while he's like dating Benita and all this stuff, like doctors are sort of getting wiser of like what's going on and they're researching. And then when the Swedish Institute doesn't do anything about this, it gets leaked to the New York Times. We don't know who leaked it to the New York Times, but the New York Times picks it up and the Karolinska Institute in Sweden defends him. They're like, he's amazing. There's this is unfounded. Mm-hmm. There is no evidence to this. Mm-hmm. So this is happening. And then there's this other guy, um, Busa Lindquist, who's a Swedish reporter as well. And he starts like looking into. So there's a lot of people that start looking into him around the same time. There's these doctors, there's this Lindquist who starts looking into the case. Um, and what's crazy is when these doctors have presented it to the Karolinska Institute they get blacklisted, essentially. They get pushed out. Mm. They get accused of leaking confidential data with criminal charges. So they're sitting there being like, we thought we were like helping the medical community. And here I am in a police a, like a police precinct having wow. to answer questions about mm-hmm. releasing data that frankly like should be released. People should know. People should not be under the knife with this guy. Like I said, Bassa or Busa Lindquist is a Swedish um, investigative journalist, and he's working on a documentary, and he starts to do his own research, and eventually he will connect with these doctors. He's questioning sort of the merits of this doctor, of like, what's his deal? What's going on? He talks, he like sets up a camera, and he interviews Mac- Mac- Paolo, and Paolo's like, listen, like, we've lost people, but it's all for the greater good. Like, this is good for medical research. We're getting all this information. And frankly, like, I, I've i been working with people who are sick, and what I really need is, like, a healthy person to work with. Mm-hmm. So he goes to Russia, and he starts looking for a patient who is healthy that he can perform the surgery on. And it's essentially, like, a lottery or like an audition where all these people like send in videos of themselves. And this will eventually become a documentary called Supercells, which is based in Russia. This is not Bassa's um, documentary. But so Supercells fo- focuses on Yulia Tulik. And she is a Russian dancer and mom who is in a car accident and had a tracheostomy and her windpipe is damaged. So she has a hole in her throat. It's very uncomfortable. It affects her life. She has a son but she's a great candidate for this surgery. Mm-hmm. So he's going to he's going to go through this surgery. They're going to film him the entire time and it's a pet project for Putin. So from start to finish, they're going from like when he meets her until the end of her surgery. They go through the surgery, it's a success. I say that loadedly. <laughs> it's a success. The first thing she says when she wakes up from surgery is, "Can I play with my son?" Like 
this is a woman who just wanted a sec- a new lease on life. Yeah, of course. Um, at the end of the documentary, you see Julia is still recovering, but like at a press conference, they're lauding this as a huge success. So Basse has like seen this documentary and he's like, we need to get some more information. Like, let's talk to Yulia. Like, this is a success. She's a young person. Let's see what's going on with her. Yeah. So they reach out to her and they can't get a hold of her. And her mom responds and is like, if you want to talk to Yulia, you'll have to be dead because she's gone. She died. That the mom sounds grouchy. Um, she is because her daughter didn't need to go like that. Nope. Like her daughter did not need to go like I that. I just love that she's like, oh hi, fuck you. Yeah, you can, you can, you can talk to her, but you'll have to die first because that's where she is. She's and I'd dead. love to see it. Well, this is a person who's investigating the crimes, not the person who did this documentary. I'll get into that. In fact, before I'll just say that now. In fact, before the documentary premiered, the people producing it in Russia reached out to Yulia. Um, and they were like, hey, like, how's it going? Like, the prem- it's going to come out soon. Like, do you want to see it? And how's the new trachea going? Like, everything good? All good over there? And she writes back, for more than half a year, I've been in the hospital. Three weeks after the procedure, I started rotting from the inside. I weigh 47 kilos. It's like 80 pounds. Mm-hmm. I can't walk. It's difficult to breathe. I have no voice. I smell that make people shudder. The artificial tracheas are shit. Sorry to stay. Sorry to say so. Wow. They still release the Supercells documentary. Wow. And again, like this Bulls. is what's crazy Bulls. is like you have but no, but you have like leap of faith. You have all this medical attention. All of this, I'm, you have all this media attention on this guy, mm-hmm. and the procedure becomes bigger than him, and he becomes the star. And the supercells like legitimizes it. Like I don't. To be honest, I don't know if supercells came out before the NBC. But again, all of it is feeding each other into media frenzy, mm-hmm. into excitement. Basse Lundquist, who's like, okay, something's really fucking wrong. He contacts the people who made Supercell, and he's like, listen, do you have extra footage that I could look at from this documentary? So they sent him all of the footage. Uh-huh. And in the footage, there's some damning evidence. Like what? They see him talking about the plastic implant that they are going to input in her. And they are on a call going, it's the wrong size. One is too soft. One is, and he makes a decision like, we'll go with the longer one because it's um, it's uh, thicker. They also have him on a phone call talking about his first patient who is dying in Sweden. Mm-hmm. And so we know he knows that that surgery didn't go well. Mm-hmm. All the while, he's saying it was a massive success and that he can do this surgery. Yulia goes through the surgery and they are scoping her. It's so sad. And they're talking about how it looks like it's collapsing, which again, this is how you're breathing. And she goes, is the prosthetic no good? And he's like, no, it's all good. And she's like, it's just hard to breathe. And he's like, no, it's fine. It's a success. It's just like gaslighting yeah. at the highest caliber. And so when Basse Lundquist started going into this, he was asking himself, you know, is this man a bad man? Or, you know, are these just surgeries not working? Or like, are we learning? And it's like through the footage of from Supercells, this Russian documentary, it's very clear that he is a, a bad, bad man. man. That he's like he's, knowing putting- Spoiler alert. A bad surgeon. <laughs> He's knowingly putting 
ship prosthetics into people's bodies. And then they're like looking at it and they're like, there's no stem cells. Like this thing that's supposed to be bathed in stem cells that's supposed to be absorbed into the body, it's not working. Mm-hmm. So these people are being tortured mm-hmm. who thought that he was the answer to all of their problems. So Ludquist ends up getting him to sit in front of him and starts asking him some of these questions. Um, and Paolo just lies seamlessly to his face, yeah. right? Like perfectly. Again, it's the same thing Benita calm, describes. About, super and he's calm. like, and the Pope's marrying me next week in Italy. Like, exactly. whatever. Exactly. And he's like, oh, I have all this. You didn't check the research in Russia. Whereas I think that's where he did most of his animal research after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so this all comes to a head. The Vanity Fair article comes out. This, like, Ludquist is totally on to him. Um, and Ludquist comes out with his documentary, Experimenten, a year after the whistleblowers complained in the Swedish Institute. So again, like, this is what makes it a little bit challenging to talk about because it's all happening simultaneously. Everyone figured out this guy was a fraud around the same time and everyone was looking into him Yeah, but the New York the What's crazy is the New York Times article didn't kill him. Yeah. It was this documentary in Sweden that was very specific to Sweden. Um, and it had a massive impact um, mm-hmm. when they realized like none of these surgeries ever worked. He implanted the tracheas in at least across the world in at least eight patients. All but one died. And the one that survived removed the implant. Mm-hmm. And he says still that the accusations are false, that mm-hmm. he is, you know, doing new medicine and that risks are involved. And all of these people have signed informed consent so they knew the risks going into the surgeries, which it's like he was just like he was like luring these women to love him. He was luring these patients into safety. Mm-hmm. He was slaughtering them in the hopes that maybe one of them worked, even though he knew that none of them worked. Mm-hmm. The leadership at Karolinska Institute resign after this documentary, after Ludquist's documentary experiment and comes out. Um, and in 2022... He is charged with three counts of aggravated assault for just the Swedish patients in Sweden. That's the only crimes he's been charged of so far. He claims innocence at the first trial. Like, Benita shows up. She's like, I got to look hot. This guy's in the court. Like, it's the first time he's seen me in seven years. Seven years or 12 years? Seven years. He, He is found not guilty on two of the three counts. So like I said, the first two were cancer patients because they're like, listen. We don't know. We don't know. They could have died from complications. Also, like, this could have saved their life. We're not going to charge them for it. But the third one, who lived for four and a half years after an absolute torture, he was found guilty. And he leaves Sweden after receiving a suspended sentence. And he's on probation from two years in Sweden. But he's, like, free to practice anywhere else. So then at this time, it's not justice. At this time, um, the defense and prosecution both appealed the decision. And in June of 2023, this year, he was convicted on all three counts of aggravated assault on all three patients. And he gets two years, six months in prison, which frankly is definitely not enough. Um, They said he acted indifferent to the risks and all three interventions were unjustifiable. Mm-hmm. But he has appealed it to the Supreme Court in Sweden. And if you are in an appeal process, you don't have to report to prison. So he still has served no prison time for these crimes. And he's still like, like they said, like he has not been charged in the U.S. He has not been charged anywhere. He's not been charged in Russia. 
so he can go and he can still I mean I think that's part of the reason why they created this documentary is like you can we need to get this guy out there so he doesn't do this again yeah and what's crazy too is like I opened with sort of like the love con if you will but it starts the same way in both instances Mm -hmm. it's like small slow lies that turn into something so big so massive and he has three families and he's killed seven people and it's hard because these people really put their whole faith in him Mm -hmm. and I think the way he's courting these patients courting these women are very similar he's using like his charismatic mm-hmm. cult vibes energy mm-hmm. and i think he really wishes these these things will work and i think that's why he does the surgery and he leaves he books it because he doesn't have to see the effects of them yeah. he sees them coming out of surgery and it is a success mm-hmm. but it is anything but that delusional and also like just so ego driven where it's like I just want to feel like I'm a hero and I'm a success and I also want to be taken in with my lies well it's funny in the in the leap of faith documentary that Benita had produced he even is like it's not about me (laughs) it's so gross we wish it wasn't trust me wish it wasn't but so gross but that's it's an incredible it's incredible it's an incredible documentary and um I highly recommend it uh, it was really good. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was very yeah. sad. But wow. That really is, good. I mean, it's so sad. And all the kids affected. I mean, it's so sad. But yeah. thank you for sharing it. And thank you for slogging through because I know it's like a complicated long one. But I think you did a really good job. Quinn, thank you. I needed to hear that. It's I, like, I, I, I really was like edge of my seat. Like, <laughs> them what? Like, that's like a crazy story, man. Well, it's crazy because like it's I think the other thing that's wild about it is like He's operating in plain sight. Yeah. I think that's, that's what's so weird is it's like. That's what's chilling. <laughs> it's not like, like a guy, t- oh, I haven't heard of him. He's and like, it does so remind me of Dr. Durst and like just like yeah. this lunatic that's like, I just, it's well, like any serial killer in a way. Because you're sort of like, once they get away yeah. with it, they're just like, oh, I'm I'm allowed to do whatever I want. And yes. then they do. And he also and like. And they keep getting away with it and they keep doing more. Yes. And he existed in systems where they were lauded, like the Karolinska Institute is not going to indict him. In fact, like these other doctors who were trying to blow the whistle on this guy, they were treated like fucking lepers. Mm-hmm. They were pushed out of the organization. And these men who were like trying to get this guy out of patients, like out of the operating room, out of the OR, like they went through such depression. They were so paranoid. They like, when they were investigating or doing like compiling this research on their end, mm-hmm. they had like separate emails. They had separate names. They like didn't meet in person. Like it felt like very spy vibes because he held such power. So sad. So sad. Thank you for telling it. Thank you for listening. I think that because you took us to Sweden, it's fitting that we stay there. So put on my Swedish has beans, and we we <laughs> have clog. some pancakes. Let's claw. Do you know that I read that IKEA now makes a one turkey sized meatball, so you can serve a meatball for a community, pour <laughs> the gravy on it. Question though, it's pretty that's exciting. gotta be dry. It, it must be. I that mean, must but the, be dry. When I saw the ad for it or the picture of it, I was like. That's a ballsy move. Serving one meatball. That's a meatball. ballsy move. I would say it's a bally move. <laughs> That's a baller move. Oh, That's yeah, a better yeah, one, a baller move. Wait, here's my question though. Do you, when you go to a, I mean, if you're going to an Italian restaurant, mm-hmm. are you ever ordering a meatball? 
Oh, sometimes. I love meatballs. Maybe I'm not eating right meatballs. Could eat the good ones. I Me- like meatballs a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you the story of the twins, Ursula and Sabina Erickson, who are Swedish. I could tell by Erickson. It's both with um, a K. Yes, and two S's. Uh, Definitely Swedish. So I got my information from... Um, Oh, shoot. Did she not write it down? Hang on one second. Did she not write it or did you not write it? It, it was me. <laughs> I'll take responsibility. The call was coming from inside. But I did just do it recently. So I can, I think, figure it out. And maybe I didn't get it from that many places. For sure, Vice. For sure, Wikipedia. And you know what? I'll stand by that that was the primary source. I stand by that always. I I'll stand by right. that. Okay. So they're born in November of 1967. Uh, they have uh, a really normal childhood. They're got a couple older siblings, a sister Mona, a brother Bjorn. Love that name. Bjorn Erickson. Um, but when they grow up, they move away from Sweden Ursula goes to live in the U.S. Sabina is living in Ireland. She's married. She has a couple of kids. And Ursula goes to visit Sabina in May of 2008. Now, we don't know a ton about this visit. What we know is that they have a plan and they secretly leave to go to England, to go to Liverpool. We think they took a ferry. They show up in Liverpool early in the morning, and they head to St. Anne Street Police Station to say, we're worried about the safety of Sabina's kids. We're worried about- They leave Sweden to go to Liverpool. Wait, not Sweden. They don't aren't in Sweden anymore. They're Swedish, but one of them moved to the US, one of them moved to Ireland. Thank you. The US twin, Ursula, goes to visit the Ireland twin, Sabina, who lives there with her family. She has two kids. Yeah. Then they both go together, once in Ireland, to Liverpool. And they're like, we're worried about and the kids like, in Ireland. And they're we're worried about the kids we just left in Ireland. We're really worried about their safety. Um, Sabina has been fighting with her husband, and they're worried. And so they left them to go voice those concerns to the police in, in Liverpool. Liverpool. Listen, it's going to make less sense the further we go. So buckle in. Like, don't look for clarity in this it's moment. It's just hard uh, because... The opposite is about to It's just hard because happen. Ikea is so well organized. Yes. It feels so... And I don't mean to paint Swedes with a broad brush, but damn it, if that broad brush isn't five ninety nine at Ikea, it, here I am painting with it. Okay, moving on. <sighs> they leave the police station and head on over to London. Right. And by the way, Liverpool and London are pretty far for, you know, they're not, they're not that close. It's like a five hour drive. Right. But they're, they're on some sort of bus and then they, it, it stops at a, not a scheduled stop, like a rest stop on the side of the road. And they say to the, they'll say later it's because they were feeling unwell. The bus driver's like, no, they were acting cuckoo. They were acting weirdo banana pants on the bus. And they were like, clinging to their bags and like whispering and being weird and i got a feeling they had something in their bags i don't know what it is is it like a weapon is it explosives it freaks me out so i'm like get off the bus let me search your bags and they're like no and he's like okay um 
bye. <laughs> Here's a service station. But he does tell the manager of the service station, which is kudos to him, what the fuck just happened. He doesn't mm-hmm. just like leave the crazy ladies with their bags there. He's like, that was weird. I don't know what you think about it. So she's <laughs> alarmed. And she's like, uh... You guys are being pretty strange. Um, I'm going to call the police. So she calls the police. They come and they talk to them and they're like, I think they're fine. I think they're fine and we're not worried about the bags. I'm not clear if they searched the bags. I think maybe they did. I don't. We're never going to find out if there's anything weird in the bags. That's never going to come to pass that they do have something weird. So I don't know whether to believe that the police searched them or just talked to the the twins and said, Ursula and Sabina, you seem fit as a fiddle. Either way, they leave. Mm-hmm. Now, Ursula and Sabina don't have a way to get around, so they just start walking away on foot. And there is CCTV footage of them walking down the center of the M6. Which is a huge... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like a highway. Yeah. Without uh, being very clear about their intentions, they try to just cross this highway. So Sabina gets like grazed by a car going quickly. So highway officers are called to the scene. The Central Motorway Police Group are called to the scene. And... There's a program called Traffic Cops who are shadowing that unit. Like, okay. it's like co- cops, but traffic cops. So they're they're shadowing the motorway police. So they're like, they're filming. So they follow them. And they're all arriving to the M6. And the s- sisters are on the side of the road smoking cigarettes. And everything seems totally fine at first. And the police are talking to the traffic cops. Um, Everyone's like chat, like trying to figure out what the fuck happened. And then Ursula just runs into the road. Just runs into the road. And as she runs, like an officer tries to grab her by the coat. But like she like gets away. And she runs straight into like a lorry driving by. um, That's going like 60 miles an hour. And it mm-hmm. hits her so hard, it knocks her shoes off. Seconds later, Sabina follows suit. Runs into the road. What? Gets hit, like, by a VW. Oh, these poor people who are driving these poor people. Now, they're okay. Ursula breaks both her legs when she gets, like, hit by the lorry. Sabina gets knocked unconscious but wakes up 15 minutes later. Somehow, nobody died. They're both alive. What? But it's not looking great, especially for Ursula, who has, like, two broken legs. Sabina's, like, awake, but they're like, what the f- You both just ran into the- Okay, uh, we gotta what get, like, happening? flight for life. They, like, call a helicopter in that's gonna airlift them. When Ursula, like, comes to with her broken legs, she's clawing and spitting at the police when they come to try to help her. And she's screaming at them, I recognize you. You're not real. And Sabina's yelling, they're trying to steal your organs. So everyone's like, what is happening? What is ha- Like, what? what? And then they're, one of them's like, we got to get the police. We got to call the police. And the police are like, we're the police. <laughs> oh, my God. And Sabina says, why do you kill me? And you're like, I don't know what's happening, man. Is this a riddle? <laughs> yes, it feels like a riddle. And Sabina punches an officer in the face who's trying to help her. 
and just runs. But they get her somehow and they handcuff her and they sedate her and they arrest her and they get Ursula on the helicopter to go deal with her injuries at a hospital. (sighs) They're like, because they're both acting this way, it has to either be they both took the same drugs or they had like a suicide pact. Or something mm-hmm. like the, what what they cannot figure out what's going on and they're searching everything that they're left behind and in the debris they find um broken cell phones which presumably were theirs that they had like broke on purpose or maybe like the car broke them um sabina was wearing a yellow visor when at this which, scene of this happening that said time to believe which we don't know what that could mean but we it don't, was free she got it at a bar probably it okay. was a share it's night. just the name of a dive it bar share, nearby it was share night <laughs> um but one thing that's really interesting is when asked about this remember they have older siblings mona and bjorn and bjorn says well they were running they were running for maniacs which has never been um, everybody's like doubling like doubling like down really on the insanity aggressively so yes. Yes. Um, We don't know why they did it, but five hours after this happens, Sabina's at the hospital and they're like, you okay? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. And she's like calm and kind of like funny, like saying cracking jokes, but like calm. And they're like, okay, you seem fine. And then she says, we say in Sweden that an accident rarely comes alone. Usually at least one more follows. Maybe two. And you're like, we don't know what you mean by that. But... um, Sabina girl, you okay? She ends up uh, going to a magistrate's court and she pleads guilty to trespass like on the fucking highway and to assaulting a police officer. And they're like, we sentence you to a day in prison because that was bad behavior. But at the same time, you just spent the night in prison. So I guess it's fine. Just go. We'll call it a wash. Just beat it. So she leaves... Footage of like this happening is all over like the BBC because it's wild and they have it because of that traffic cop show. There's also you can watch footage of it in a 2010 BBC documentary called Madness in the Fast Lane. But there's all sorts of conspiracy theories on Reddit about why they did this. Um, What follows is pretty wild as well which is that that evening after being released it's around seven at night and there's these two guys that are local uh glenn hollinshed 54 years old a former raf airman and his friend peter malloy are like walking glenn's dog and Mm -hmm. sabina walks by and she's like "Ooh, are there any like b&b's nearby any hotels and she seems kind of nervous yeah it's a situation where I think that Glenn assumes that she's maybe, like, in an abusive relationship. Okay. So he's like, do you want to go to my house? It's not sexy, but he's like, do you want to go to my house? And she's like, sure. So they all go to his house, and she keeps, like, looking out the window, like maybe someone followed her. Mm -hmm. So that kind of doubles down in his mind as to what he thinks is going on. She offers them cigarettes and they go to take the cigarettes and put them in their mouths. And as soon as they're in their mouths, she rips them out of their mouths and she's like, wait, they could be poison. So they're like, okay, like you're shook. It's like Peter she's leaves. going through a manic episode or something. Yeah. And her sister. I mean, is, is bipolar, like is, is mania. I mean, mental health is hereditary. That's true. Um, but at the same time, like, what is the... With no prior. Yeah. So 
Peter Malloy leaves. They go to bed. The next day, Glenn calls his brother and is like, we got to look at these local hospitals. We got to start calling them. We have to figure out. She says her sister's in one. We need to figure out like where Ursula is. Um, He's just like helping her. Yeah. And then I don't really know what they do that day. But that evening, Glenn makes some food for them and then goes to his neighbor's house to ask if he can have um, some tea. His neighbor, Frank. He's like, Frank, can I borrow some tea? Frank, I need some freaking tea. No problem. He goes back into his place and comes right back out the door having been stabbed. What? He's bleeding. And he says, she stabbed me. (gasps) And he's like, hey, Frank, look after my dog for me. And then he dies. What? Yes. She kills him? Yes. Frank calls the police. Okay. Sabina runs. She's running down the road. She has somehow got her hands on a hammer. And is hitting herself in the head with it as she runs. We don't love that. That's not something we really want. There's a guy named Joshua Gratage that sees her and he tries to stop her. And she hits him in the head with a roof tile that she has in her pocket. And she gets to a bridge and she jumps 40 feet onto the A50 and breaks both of her ankles and fractures her skull in this jump. Did she die? No. What? They put they take her to the hospital. And it's June 6th, and she's in the hospital till September 11th. From June 6th to September 11th, recovering from injuries. And as soon as she is out of hospital custody, they arrest her. She's in a wheelchair. They arrest her. And they charge her with murder. The trial takes place a year after that. And she pleads guilty to manslaughter with diminished responsibility, which is to say, it's like pleading Pleading insanity. insanity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Every single question they ask her, like, what were you thinking? What were you doing? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? She's no comment, no comment, no comment. She doesn't know why she did it. The defense are like, this is foile à deux, which is French, like the madness of two. (gasps) <gasps> like this is when two people suffer like an yeah. insanity or a delusion make at it the worse. same like, time. They are fully living But the in idea it. was she was the secondary. Like Ursula had a breakdown and had like a mental illness yeah. and it affected Sabina. And it was like transmitted to her through her twin. Ursula, oh who at this time didn't kill anyone she was in the hospital with broken legs and when she recovered she moved to bellevue washington in the u.s yeah now (laughs) wait how did she how how did she get to move after how 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 did she is she a citizen like she wasn't charged with anything she just ran into traffic and broke her legs and where's her and where's and sabina killed someone went to the hospital Waited, awaited trial, went to trial, and now is being like dealing with this that she killed someone. She gets sentenced to five years. Oh my God. Um, she gets released on parole in 2011 and goes back to Sweden. Glenn's brother, the man who died, mm-hmm. says of this incident, we don't hold her responsible. 
the same as we wouldn't blame a rabid dog for biting someone. She is ill and to a large degree not responsible for her actions. But her mental disorder should have been recognized much earlier. I do question the criminal justice system for allowing somebody like this to be let out when she's capable of committing such a crime. Her mental condition should have been properly assessed after what she did on the motorway and the experiences the police had. Her mental disorder should have been picked up prior to her being let out into the community. Yeah. Glenn saw her in distress and was just trying to help. He wasn't slow in coming forward to help someone in distress. It was in his nature. He was trying to help. He would help anybody. If he Mm. saw a fight in the street and a guy was losing, he would help. Oh, so, oh, we just need like such. I mean, like they make this documentary about like the fast oh. lane, but some footage isn't in it, and that footage that is missing is released. It is uploaded anonymously mm. to the internet, and in that footage, you can hear two police officers at the scene of the highway situation saying that the sisters should be given a one thirty six, which is a code of. Uh, the police holding a person because of mental health issues. Like, basically, we need to hold them. We don't know what's going on. And they need to be assessed. And that didn't happen. They were not psychologically assessed by anyone. Like, when she started calming down and saying other incidents would follow us, they let her go. And since her release, Sabina Erickson has disappeared and her whereabouts are unknown. But obviously, this entire story poses a bunch of questions. We still don't know where the delusion began because the incidents in the in, a man was murdered. That's yeah. the height of it. But before yeah. that, the incidents in the roadway are very strange. And before that, we don't know why Ursula left the U.S. to go visit Sabina. Yeah, and we don't know why Sabina left her kids at home and said they were in danger. They didn't see each, they hadn't seen each other in years and years. So like we don't understand why the trip began and their older siblings at don't have any all. idea. Well, we know that Bjorn said they were running for maniacs and we don't know why he says that cuz he doesn't elaborate. Um what a mystery. We don't know. And that is like so it it remains a mystery because they've never come out and cleared any of it up. Nobody's ever said, "Let me tell you what happened here and the world at large has watched the footage of this scene unfold on the highway. That must be so scary. That must have been so scary to witness. Because even if you're running away from maniacs, you don't run in front of a car or up against a, a well, lorry. You like do you're not. If that's what you do. If that's the only if the, if the alternative is that much scarier. You know, like I would run into I would run into traffic if somebody was like, hurt, you know what I mean? Like, but they're what with is, the police. And yeah, they're but yelling, that's, they're trying to steal your organs. Like, no, I know. It just like it sounds like like you can logically mm-hmm. go through it, but I to me, it's one of those moments where I go, oh, logic need not apply. Like logic is not accepted. It's a currency that nobody is accepting at this at this at the store right. at the shop. The shopkeeper says, "Logic, I'm not interested." That currency is not legal tender here. Yeah. It's wow. a really wild story. I feel so sad for everyone. And I feel so sad for Glenn's family. Like, that's so sad. And I think, like, again. Just like a wrong place, wrong time. And also totally. just, like, his just generosity like, killed well, him. Exactly. And also, like, our our awareness of, like, mental health. Like, I'll be honest with you. My heart breaks from because I think I would feel 
not, I don't, you know what? I don't know what I would do. You don't know what you would do in that moment. But like, if you feel like, oh, I could maybe calm them down. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, look for the helpers. Who hasn't done that before. Who hasn't done that before. We've exactly. all been a helper before. And you don't want the moral to be, don't be a helper. But <laughs> that's not the moral. That's not the moral of the situation. We'll tell you the moral next week. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, Dearest readers, we adore you. We love you. It's like going to be February soon. Stay hydrated. <laughs> Bye.